Good morning to each of you. It's good to be here. Um, our services continue to be a little abnormal, it seems like. Um, at least I'm not in my living room preaching, but um, I feel a little bit like the uh, man who went to the wedding banquet and was found without wedding clothes, um, without my mask with me this morning. I promised I had it on my nightstand and um, halfway here realized that I'd forgotten it. So, um, anyway. Uh, several weeks ago, I was reading in Second Peter and was impressed by um, the first chapter. And this is not, I don't know where I'll spend most of the message, but I just wanted to pick out a few verses here. Um, 1 Peter 3 says, uh, His divine power has given us everything we need from life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And um, I was impressed by the thought that God has given us everything we need. He has given us the power um, to live uh, life that pleases Him and to live a godly life. And I don't want to make too much of, of this phrase, but He says, um, through our knowledge of Him who called us. And um, it's obviously God who does the working in us, but anything we can do to increase our knowledge of Him is worthwhile. And, and so this morning, what I hope we can do is um, spend some time looking at Jesus and growing in our knowledge of Him. And uh, a few verses later here in verse uh, 5 and 6 and 7, uh, Peter says, For this very reason, um, he says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so hopefully this morning we can grow in our knowledge of Jesus and in our faith. Hopefully our faith can be strengthened and um, perhaps even our perseverance. You know, three things that he mentions. In this list. What I'd like to talk about this morning is um, the authority of Jesus, and um, I, I thought about this subject as I was reading through Matthew um, a few weeks ago. Um, I read through the Sermon on the Mount, and um, and then following uh, the sermon, Jesus went back and forth across the lake, um, and and healed uh, many people and did miracles. Um, when we think of authority, what is authority? And, and uh, the King James often uses power, and it seems like authority and power are very similar and often used interchangeably. Um, but authority is really uh, just the power to command obedience or um, the right to control um, something or, or someone. Um, often, it seems like children um, would like to command their siblings or control them, tell them what to do. Um, but in most cases, it seems like they don't have the authority to do that, right? Um, they might try to tell their siblings what to do, but um, unless 
if a parent um, behind the command, uh, often the children will not listen, right? And that can be really frustrating to children. But without authority, um, it's, it's hard to um, command uh, anybody to do anything. And um, in these verses, following the Sermon on the Mount, we see mentioned uh, over and over again uh, comments about Jesus' authority. And you can turn to Matthew chapter 7, and the very end of Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 28, um, you see that when Jesus finished uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, and, and they commented that he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. And this made me wonder, what was, what was it about Jesus' teaching that made it stand uh, apart from the teachers of, what the teachers of the law were saying? Uh, was it his manner or his sincerity or what he, what he was saying? Was it uh, the actual message that he was saying? Um, probably all of these things. Um, we, we, we can assume that, that they, they could tell that Jesus really knew what he was talking about. Um, he taught as one who knew God, and he knew what was important to God. Um, it's usually not hard to tell if a teacher knows what they're talking about, um, if they really understand it, or if they're just um, reading uh, the textbook, reading the words, and uh, trying to make it sound like they know what they're talking about. Um, Jesus clearly knew what he was talking about. He taught with authority. And in his sermon, he emphasized approval, um, seeking approval from God, not from men, um, which was very different from the way the Pharisees and uh, the teachers of the law lived their lives. And he also emphasized um, trusting God um, for provision and um, for a final reward for the good things um, that a person does. Uh, so, so they knew he taught with authority. And then, um, in this next chapter, we have, and, and the first few verses of chapter 9, we have um, five encounters with Jesus. And um, people have problems, they encounter Jesus, and as we go through these, uh, let's think about Jesus' response to the people and, and then how the people responded back to Jesus and, and what these account, encounters say about Jesus' authority. Uh, okay, starting in verse, uh, chapter 8 of Matthew, verse 1, and this is the NIV, and this is the first encounter uh, with Jesus. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So when this man with leprosy came to Jesus, it's interesting that he had no question about Jesus' ability 
uh, to heal him. The only question was whether Jesus was willing. And um, Jesus was willing. And when he saw the man's faith, he, he reached out and healed him and said, Be clean. And, and it's also interesting that um, Jesus told him to go to the priest. Uh, if Jesus said he was clean, that should be enough, right? Um, but Jesus seems like showed enough respect for the authority of the priest um, to, to tell the man to go and show himself to the priest. Um, even though Jesus was a far greater authority than the priest, um, he still followed um, followed the, the routine or the um, the proper process um, for this man to be um, pronounced clean. And, and it's also interesting that he said not to tell anybody. And I have to wonder why Jesus said that. And I I don't know. Um, is it possible that he was uh, joking? Um, I doubt it, but it is a little bit silly uh, to think of a man being cured from leprosy and not telling anybody. Um, but in any case, uh, this man came to Jesus with his problem and he received healing. And then uh, we have a second, another encounter, and this person in verse 5, and this is uh, a centurion who came to Jesus. So starting in uh, verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those who followed him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of, subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go. It will be done just as he believed it would, and his servant was healed at that very hour. We know that the centurion was a very important man. Um, he had a hundred soldiers in his control, under his charge, and um, I don't know, some of you here might be managers um, and have people under you, but I doubt anybody here is in control of a hundred um, people. Uh, so that made him an important man, and we don't have the details here, but in uh, Luke, we have details about how this centurion um, loved the Jewish people, he loved their nation, and he built a synagogue for them, and the people liked him. And in fact, um, Luke says that the Jewish leaders, elders, came to Jesus and asked Jesus to help this man. So this centurion could have very well felt that he was an important man, that he deserved um, respect. He could have felt that he, because of all his kindness shown towards the Jews, that he deserved some help from this Jewish teacher and healer, but that's not his attitude at all. Um, this centurion's uh, view of Jesus is so high that uh, he doesn't even want 
he doesn't even feel worthy to have Jesus come into his house. And instead, he says, look, I, I'm under authority, and I have people under me, I have servants and soldiers, and I can tell them what to do, and with a simple command, they do it. And he recognized Jesus' authority over sickness, um, that it was just as simple for Jesus to say, be well, and his servant would be well. And Jesus was very impressed with this concerning faith. And Jesus changed his course of action. He was going to go and heal this servant. But because of this man's faith in, in Jesus doing it at a distance, just by his word, Jesus did it at a distance and healed him, simply saying the word right where he was, and, um, and the servant was healed. Now, this centurion is very different from the teachers of the law and the Jewish religious leaders. Um, they were very much aware of their importance, and um, uh, they they didn't want to lose their place of importance. They were anything but humble, and um, this is why I believe Jesus says that many will come from the east and the west and take their place at the feast uh, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, uh, but the subjects of the kingdom, those Jews, um, would to be thrown outside into darkness. Um, so here we see an attitude of humility and um, just a high regard for Jesus. And, and this continually receives the highest um, praise for his faith. And then we're going to skip a few verses here. Jesus goes to Peter's house, um, and then there's a few comments about the cost of following Jesus. Uh, but the next encounter that I want to look at is in verse 23. This is the third encounter with Jesus. And um, this is Jesus with his disciples. So starting uh, at verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was, sleep- was sleeping. The disciples went and woke and said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. It seems, uh, it seems to the disciples, anyway, that Jesus was unaware of their problem. He didn't uh, understand what was going on. He didn't seem to care. Um, but perhaps Jesus was only waiting for them to come to him and ask for help. We don't know. Um, and, but whenever they gave up their own uh, attempts to save themselves, and no doubt they were trying, um, they came to him and asked for help. And they were desperate. They were crying. Um, and how did Jesus respond to them? Well, he says, you have little faith. Why are, you so, why are you so afraid? What is it that makes Jesus um, say, you have little faith, where with the centurion he said, um, he commended his great faith. Uh, it, the disciples were afraid. Um, it seems like they had little confidence in Jesus' ability to, to help the situation, perhaps. Um, they were coming to the right place, 
And, but they were desperate. Where else would they have to go? Um, Peter saw their hearts. He saw what was really going on in their minds. And he said, you have little faith. But nevertheless, Jesus um, helped them. And with the word, he calmed the wind and the waves. And as people in previous um, encounters had mentioned or had responded, they were responded with amazement. Um, even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of a man is this? They, they asked themselves. All right, for the fourth encounter, um, after the, the winds had been calmed and they arrived at the other side of the lake, uh, they are met with two demon possessed men. So, starting in verse 28, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the gathering, two demon possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you draw us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the sea bank into the lake and died in the water. Those men in the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So in this situation, um, these men met Jesus, and I don't even know if these men were capable of asking Jesus for help. Um, Jesus says nothing of their faith. We don't know exactly what the situation was, but Jesus knew that they needed help. And um, it's interesting how Jesus converses with the demons rather than the men themselves. Um, these demons had so taken control of these men that their, their actions were um, completely under the control of demons and their very identity uh, seems to have been the demons. And so Jesus, when he speaks to them, speaks to the demons. But he delivers the men from the demons, drives out the demons, and and then the people of the nearby town, they recognize this power in Jesus. And um, just like uh, everyone else who witnessed Jesus' power, they were probably amazed, but their response was a little different. They came out to Jesus and pleaded with him to leave their region. Why is it that they responded in this way? Um, well, they had just lost their pigs, and that could have been a pretty big deal to them. It seems like they were satisfied with their their life the way it was. Um, no doubt they had problems, like uh, everybody does, like other people um, in, in the area. They certainly had sicknesses as well, and yet they did not come to Jesus for help for their sickness. Um, or whatever problems they had, they wanted to be rid of Jesus. And, and it just seems like they recognized Jesus' power, but they did not trust Jesus' goodness. They did not trust Jesus to do what was good for them. They had already lost um, their possessions, some of their possessions, and they didn't want to lose more. They were afraid of Jesus. And um, 
that can be us sometimes too, can't it? Um, we are afraid of, of what Jesus might ask of us. We're afraid of getting um, too close to Jesus. We want the benefits of Jesus, but we're, we're scared of what he might ask. Scared that he can't accept the truth, he's powerful, but is he really good? Is he really trustworthy? And it seems like these people decided he's not. He's not trustworthy. And then um, for our final encounter with Jesus, uh, I'd like to look at um, Jesus and the paralytic, uh, starting in chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus stepped back into the boat, and he crossed over and came to his own town. So men brought him a paralytic line on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this point, the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to them, to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. This is the, um, the story where the, the four friends brought their um, crippled friends on a mat, and because the house was so crowded, they had to climb up on the roof and make a hole and let, let the uh, injured man uh, down through the roof. And we have those uh, details in Mark. When Jesus saw their faith, um, he did not give this man the, the, the healing that he expected, but rather said, your sins are forgiven. And Mark records that the teachers of the law said, well, who can forgive sins but God? And these teachers were right. Who can forgive sins but God? But they did not recognize um, who Jesus really was. And um, Jesus, to prove that he had authority to forgive sins, um, he asked them, which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And the truth is, both of them are very easy to say, but um, only someone with authority uh, can actually have results. And Jesus, showing his authority on earth, tells the man to get up and walk, and he gets up and walks. And clear, it's clear to everybody, I'm sure, that uh, Jesus also had authority to forgive sins. And it's interesting to see the response of the crowd again. Um, like others, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Jesus must have been uh, very close to the Father, his Everything he did must have been in connection with the Father, because when people saw all these, saw this miracle, they praised God. Um, they recognized that this was from God. They recognized Jesus' connection to God the Father. So we have five encounters with Jesus, and what can we learn from these? These people and from Jesus' response to them and their response back to Jesus. Um, two things I think we can learn. Uh, the first is just take our problems to Jesus. 
each encounter began with people bringing their problems to Jesus. Um, this required them to realize that uh, they were helpless on their own, and in some cases, um, it was desperation, like the disciples on the um, stormy lake. In some cases, it took a lot of effort, uh, like the men who brought their friend and had to make a hole in the roof. But in every case, they came to Jesus, and that's where they received help. The people of the gathering, um, they no doubt had problems too, but they did not bring them to Jesus. They, they saw his power, but doubted his goodness, and um, had lost too much and did not want to lose any more and chose not to bring their problems to Jesus. So the first uh, requirement um, to get help from Jesus is to just come to him, bring our problems to him. And then, secondly, have, we need to have confidence um, in the power and the authority of Jesus. Um, it seems like Jesus' assessment of each person's faith was related to their confidence in his ability to help them. Um, people didn't uh, say that Jesus would do it. It wasn't like they said, um, like they believed that Jesus would heal them necessarily, but they believed that he was able. And, and if only he was willing, they knew he could do it. And um, the centurion gets the highest marks for his uh, faith because he seems to have the greatest confidence in Jesus' ability and Jesus' authority, while the disciples, um, they had the smallest faith uh, because they were filled with fear and seemed to doubt uh, Jesus' ability. Um, recognizing authority lets us know who to obey and who to fear. Um, when I was uh, working at Flowserve, whenever uh, it would be, there'd be a vacation day, um, and we were working the day before the vacation started, um, my boss would often come around and uh, mid-afternoon shake our hands and say, um, you know, uh, enjoy your Fourth uh, of July vacation. We appreciate what you're doing. Um, you can go home now. Now, Ivan, I worked with Ivan, and Ivan was older than me, and he was uh, had more experience than me. But if Ivan would have came by one of those afternoons and shook my hand and said, uh, you can go home now, I probably would have just laughed at him and told him he was a funny person and kept on working, right? Because... He did not have any authority to tell me to go home early. Um, but the boss, when he comes and tells me to go home early, uh, he has authority, and so I, I can listen to him. I can trust him. I can obey him. Um, we can obey whoever we want to in life. We can obey. Um, we can obey our own will and desires. We can obey um, money. We can obey. Um, other people, but in the end, we have to answer to the authority, the ultimate authority. And just like I could obey Ivan and go home early, um, when I come back, I would have to answer to the boss, why did I leave early? Um, and in the same way, we will have to eventually answer to the ultimate authority, to Jesus and to God. Um, so, recognizing proper authority gives us 
uh, help us, allows us to know who needs to be obeyed and who do we really need to fear. Is it the waves and the wind, or is it Jesus? Who deserves our, our fear? Who deserves our obedience? So, um, just to wrap up here, um, I'd like to give us just a little bit of encouragement. Um, Jesus, we've seen in these five chapters, Jesus has authority over disease, sickness, um, over nature, demons, evil, sin, and injuries. And in Matthew 28, um, right before he ascended, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus has all authority. And where is Jesus now? Um, well, we know that Jesus is in heaven, um, at the right hand of the Father. But we also know that Jesus is living in us um, through His Spirit. And and Jesus in heaven, uh, Romans, uh, let's turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, um, verses 31 through 39. What, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised from life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a chief to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see in these verses that God is for us. Um, Jesus is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Paul quotes uh, Psalm 44, which... I had never paid much attention to before, but it's a psalm that, um, that praises God for the way He led in the children of Israel um, in their history, delivered them from their enemies, and it was His working, not um, not the sword, not the power of the Israelites. And then it goes on to say, but now, now we are being oppressed. Now our enemies are victorious. And um, we have done nothing wrong. We are faithful to you, and yet we're suffering all these terrible things. And that psalm ends with this cry to God. It says, rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. And Paul uses this verse um, in verse 36 of, of Romans 8. He uses this verse from that psalm saying, uh, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Um, I think he's saying that when, when life is terrible and there's lots of terrible things, he mentions hardship and persecution and nakedness and danger, and Paul knew what he was talking about. Um, when there's these terrible things in life, 
will they separate us from the love of God? And his answer is no. Um, he's convinced that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And so, Jesus, Jesus has all power. He has all authority. And he's also loving. And, and nothing can separate us from the love of God, even, even terrible circumstances and situations. Um, and then, the second part of Jesus' uh, work, we could say, maybe, is his power in us. Um, Jesus has power over everything, and he even has power inside of us. Um, power to forgive sins, like we saw in this um, situation with the paralytic, and also power to deliver us from the bondage to sin and from ongoing sin in our lives. Um, going back to Second Peter, uh, one thing His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Um, in Galatians uh, 2 20, speaks of how Christ lives in us. Um, it's not us living life, but it's Christ living through us. And I don't know if it's um, good to compare our lives to that of these demon possessed men. There's a whole lot of differences. But we need to be so filled with Christ that our actions are, are Christ living in us. Our actions are totally controlled by Christ's authority in our lives. And our very identities are, um, are taken over by Christ. Now, certainly, we are not out of control. Um, we have to choose to give Christ um, control of our lives because He lets us have that choice. Uh, but... Jesus can have authority in our lives to help us live um, victoriously, to help us live free from the bondage of sin. So, uh, just one final verse um, in closing here. I'd like to read John 16. Verse 33. I have told you these things, and this is from um, Jesus speaking uh, after he had been talking to his disciples. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, and in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So I hope that this uh, look at Jesus' authority and Jesus' power has been an encouragement to us. Um, this power is available to us. And Jesus is loving and perfectly good and trustworthy.